So now we get Graham bringing Emma donuts to bribe her into working at night because apparently off screen he has previously promised her that she would not have to work night shifts, which is insane. She's a cop. But he brought her donuts because he wants her to sink her teeth into his sweet, sweet hole. Yes, that's lovely. No, but seriously, <laughs> I can't get over the fact that... Also, it's a bear claw. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And is this show good? I'm enjoying it. I enjoyed this episode. Let's not get too sucked in, though. We know the pattern. We're going to really love it for another, like, five episodes. Then it's going to get really slow. Then it's going to get amazing, and we're going to become retroactively sad that it was canceled. Yeah, that, that that is our pattern. But let's just enjoy the good ones while we're there. All right. This is... Season 7, Episode 3, The Garden of Forking Paths. So, The Good Place has ruined that word, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I... Whole time I'm like, forking paths. But as a reminder, uh, Henry is an adult-ass man now. Uh, He's living in a cursed neighborhood in Seattle. It's like the old curse, except it's just a neighborhood in Seattle. Well, and what makes it different from the old curse is he doesn't live in that neighborhood. He can come and go to that neighborhood. Hmm. Hyperion Heights. Much like the uh, classic curse. He was the only one who could come and leave from Storybrooke. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but we haven't seen anyone else leave Hyperion Heights. Mm. Oh, good point. Good point. In fact, we saw Jacinda and Lucy unable to leave Hyperion Heights. Okay. Okay. So I was thinking this was just a weak-ass curse, but no, it's just that Henry's special. So we haven't seen this season before, so we're going in with no foreknowledge of the future here. Now, I I think a lot this episode sort of threw a lot of our theories right out the window. Yeah? How so? Well, we find out uh, what happened, vaguely, what happened to the other stepsister. That's true, we did. Although, not the whole story yet, and I'm actually really interested to see the whole story. I assume we'll get that in a couple of episodes. Yeah. And we also found out a lot more about this universe's Lady Tremaine. Yes. Well, there was one thing that we were spoiled for that was confirmed this episode, which is that she's Rapunzel. Yes. We were trying to look up her curse name and the... Once upon a time, Wiki was like, did you mean Rapunzel Tremaine? So that was, you know. I know. I was looking up the name of the actress who plays Tiana earlier, and I was just like, I, I was I was Googling with my with my hands over my eyes trying to find her name. It's Makia Cox. Ah. I, I did get it without getting spoiled for anything. That's good. So... We found out a lot more about the backstory of the characters. We actually got what we asked for in the last episode. This is a backstory episode that's focusing on the new characters. Yeah, we're getting the story of Cinderella and Henry in the fairy tale land. And that's what I wanted. I wanted more focus on that. Although I have decided, until I learn otherwise, that this story is happening in parallel with what we're seeing in Hyperion Heights. And that this isn't the past. It's an alternate reality. Yeah, you, you've uh, you've put forth that theory. I, I am certain of that theory now. All right. There's a thing in this episode that, like, 
symbolically confirmed it for me. I'll tell you when we get there. Okay. Also, the fact that it's called the Garden of Forking Paths. That 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 made me feel like it was a hint about how it's, you know, two different realities running on parallel tracks. But you got to take a big swing when you come up with theories about things that you don't know. Otherwise, it's not impressive when you're right. So... Lady Tremaine, as a reminder, Lady Tremaine framed Cinderella for the murder of the prince, and so the prince's guards are, you know, after her. Luckily, Jacinda, Cinderella, is really good at fighting. She fucking murders a dude when the episode opens. She's being, you know... Very Bandit Snow. Oh, back in season one when Bandit Snow killed people? Yeah, back in season one when Bandit Snow was cool... I really feel like, especially when we get her outfit later, there's very much a bandit snow energy around Jacinda. I was going to say, she's being chased by the palace guards. This is directly after she was framed for murder at the prince's ball. She ran away from the ball. The palace guards came after her, and she fucking breaks one of their necks. Yeah, she does. (laughs) She kicks him into a rock, and his neck snaps. What the fuck, Cinderella? That's pretty hardcore. She's awesome. Uh, These guys don't have Regina's guards face concealing helmet things. Wait, so because they don't have a face concealing helmet, they're more human to you and it's more gruesome when she kills them? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But she is outnumbered and one of them does manage to overtake her. But luckily, she is saved by fucking Princess Tiana. Well, Tiana. Sure, but T- but Tiana in a ball gown, not Tiana in her. You know what? Tiana is the bandit snow. She wears the white leather. Hmm. So if Tiana is the bandit snow, would that make uh, Cinderella the ruby? Yeah, Cinderella's the ruby, which which actually makes a lot of sense for a reason that I will get to later in the episode when it comes up. All right. But yes, Jacinda is the ruby. Also, I just have to say how gorgeous Makia Cox is. Oh, yeah. She is... The actress who plays Tiana is incredible, and as I was Googling to find out her name, I discovered she is a musical theater actress that this show perversely brought into the cast after they did their musical episode. Hey, there's nothing stopping them from doing another musical episode, although I feel like we would have heard about it. I feel like our listeners would have told us if we have another musical episode coming up, but... I mean, if there is, I will be super psyched. It's unfair that Xena had two musical episodes. Neither one of them was even vaguely good. I will have to take your word for it. But you know what? I really like things that are bad, so I think I'll probably watch them. I have this weird relationship with Xena where I will like it for one episode. It's not a show I can binge because it's it's a little too campy even for me. Like... Oh, well, I need a show to binge on my own when you're not around, so maybe I'll just binge Xena on my own. Yeah. It's a pretty big blind spot for me with my particular constellation of fandoms that I've never actually watched Xena. Yeah, I showed you Callisto, which is the one episode I think you would show you. And I did really enjoy it. It it worked. So uh, we go from Tiana recruiting Cinderella into her Princess Resistance, very Shades of She-Ra, to the apartment in the real world. Yeah. Um. Speaking of my constellation of fandoms, Tiana is dressed like River from Firefly. Weird. Like, 
Not she's wearing an outfit that reminds me of River from Firefly. She's wearing the exact outfit that River wears at home. Huh. Just a thing. Just a thing I noticed. Firefly is, well, actually, basically all non-supernatural Joss Whedon shows are my blind spot. So that and Dollhouse? Yes. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yes. Which is still going, apparently. I know, right? I mean, good for them. I watched the first episode and I was like, eh. Apparently it gets worse and then it gets better and then it gets worse and then it gets better again. You know what? I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there. I'm just never going to catch up with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Yeah. Once so back upon in Hyperion Heights. <laughs> yes. Tiana and Jacinda are talking about Lucy. Lucy and Jacinda have been leaving letters for each other in the well in the garden, which is super sweet. It's very cute. Because Lucy is living with Victoria now. There's a joke here. It's not even a joke. There's just a reference here. Which it's weird, right? Which I know on a practical level that the people who write this show are completely unaware of our podcast. I hope they are. We're not that nice. But we cut from Jacinda and we cut from Jacinda and Tiana talking about, you know, the sweet garden letter exchange thing. And how, you know, Jacinda wants to be the person Lucy sees her as. To Henry bringing a pink box yes. to, to Ronnie and Hook. Because Ronnie and Hook and him have that secret let's stop Victoria Brelfry club. And he brought them snacks. He brought bear claws. And there's a bit where Hook's like, ooh, donuts. And Ronnie's like... It's a bear claw, which is verbatim almost what, which is almost verbatim one of the dirtiest jokes in our first season, like in the first book of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I put it as the intro clip in case you forgot or weren't listening to our earlier stuff. Don't go back and listen, or we get much better. I, I mean, it's a bear claw. Yeah, like. I, it's clearly not a reference to our podcast, but it threw me so much when I was watching this Hook episode. actually says, good job picking out the bear claws. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ronnie's frustrated because Victoria Belfry is moving forward with her condos. Uh, she, she, learned, she learned from a customer that Victoria has bribed a building commissioner. And I just think... You know, Regina never bothered with permits. Yeah, Regina would have just built those condos overnight when no one was paying attention. Right? Okay, so does this make Victoria better or worse than Regina? I don't know. Well, Victoria has to work within the limits of actual Seattle. Right? It's it's weird. But Henry gets excited when he hears about Ronnie's information. Bribes, public officials, redeveloping the neighborhood at the expense of the new guy. This is good. This is really good. I mean, it's bad. It's a, it's bad. It's good story. It's a bad thing. Can I just say how much I love Henry? I know. I just, it's so cute, right? Yeah, I, I'm glad that he's managed to make the jump to a new actor and still been, well, he still remained basically the best character in the show. That's one of the things, that's one of the reasons I wanted to actually play the clip of him saying that line because it's a new actor but he still feels very henry 
God, we could bring back one of our old segments that, you know, what's this story from Henry's point of view? Except, oh, God, I forgot about that segment. Except that's basically the podcast now. Uh, yeah, also, that's basically the plot of the season so far. Yeah. But I just, I love that he's this guy who found a moderate amount of success early on, tragic backstory, sees everything through the lens of his job, has stalkers he has to deal with all the time because of this book that didn't do all that well. Yeah, but it was like a cult hit. So now he's got very, very interested fans. He's got the worst parts of being famous without the good parts of being famous. Ooh, like being a female comic book writer. Yes. Ugh, yes. Hook is also excited to hear about this bribe. And his plan is to put pressure on the commissioner so that he can get dirt on Victoria, so that he can put pressure on her and find out all of the things that she knows on the off chance that she has information on the missing girl that Hook is looking for. That's a bit of a stretch, dude. I The word I used in my notes was attenuated. Hmm. Yeah, that's a... Okay, okay. Sure. Whatever. I mean, you're grasping at straws, so go for it. Hook says he's going on a stakeout of the building commissioner and Henry wants to come along. And... Hook basically puts him on desk duty. Yeah, Hook's like, how about you stick to research? Which was a very, like, Watcher Jr. thing of him to say. The way the Scoobies treated Dawn in the later seasons. Yeah. Which is especially egregious since Henry is the only competent character. And Henry's like, so I'm I'm research guy. And Regina's like, baby steps. But then Hook leans in and says... You picked a hell of a bear claw, which I'm like, what? They're back on the bear claws. Seriously, seriously. We see you once upon a time. It's, it's weird. So Jacinda goes to the community garden to throw more letters into a well. And we get a shot of that just so that we can go back to fairy tale land where Tiana is talking to Cinderella about the resistance. This, by the way, is why I feel like Cinderella is Ruby, because this feels like a YA novel. Which obviously evokes the YA novel werewolf story that didn't really go anywhere in Once Upon a Time Mark 1. Yeah, Cinderella has this really weird exposition thing because Tiana's like, yes, I'm the leader of this resistance. I wasn't at the ball to woo the prince. Uh, I was at the ball, you know, to keep an eye on him. I'm running this whole thing. And heads up, your stepmother is, you know, responsible for everything that's gone down. And Cinderella's like, ah, shit, I'm going to have to join this resistance, aren't I? Yeah, Tiana says that they're resisting the royal family and also Lady Tremaine. Well, I mean, Lady Tremaine's marrying into the royal family, so. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't when this resistance was formed. Cinderella's basically like, okay, but I'm only doing this for revenge purposes. And Tiana's like, okay, like, you're you're still joining, like. (laughs) Why are you joining this resistance? (laughs) Don't say revenge, don't say revenge. (laughs) That always gets me, like, there's this great Oglaf strip about uh, this army that's recruiting different people. And it's like, do it for honor, or do it because you like killing people. You get the same amount of honor and the same amount of killing people, no matter why you're joining. Exactly! Yes. So Cinderella takes Tiana on her motorcycle, which is awesome. It is. I am a little disappointed she doesn't describe it as a uh, headless horse again. Yeah, I know. I guess they dropped that. Speaking of dropping things, she throws her shoe down so that Henry will know to come look for her, which is a tremendous amount of faith in a person you just met that night. I mean, she's not going to keep the glass shoes anyway, so. 
I know. It's just that she's like, I'm going to leave this shoe behind and this guy will find it. Know that it means that I want him to come look for me and somehow also be able to find me while I'm working with a secret organization. Well, remember, he did tell her the original Cinderella story. Yes. So the first part I'm cool with. The second part, she's taking a lot on faith here, but... But I mean, he does find her almost immediately. And, you know, he was incredibly competent in the two scenes she's seen him in previously. That's true. So we cut back to her getting ready to throw the letters into the well when Victoria Belfry shows up with a construction crew with a guy who looks distractingly like Brett Michaels, who is my MVP extra of this episode. Oh my god, I didn't even notice that, but now you're right, it's completely distracting. Wow, I was just distracted by what a good contractor Victoria must have to be able to push ahead the schedule of her construction. So... Victoria is like, oh, that's very sweet, but you might want to get out of here unless you want to be crushed by construction equipment. Yep. Yep. Back at the police station, Hook is getting ready to go stake out this building commissioner when he runs into Weaver. And they have this weird back and forth where, like, they're both incredibly suspicious and terrible liars. Yeah. Weaver's like, so, Rogers, where are you going in... And Hook's like, I have paperwork, and also I have to make a court appearance for a parking ticket thing that happened before we started working together. Weaver's like, I completely believe you. Go do your thing. I will stay here and be a detective and do nothing suspicious. Uh, So we cut to Hook stalking the building commissioner guy who... I thought was someone I recognized, but wasn't. He just looks like a frat business bro, so... I was like... They all look the same. It's not Lynette's husband from Desperate Housewives. I just, I don't think it's anyone. No, I don't think it's anyone. But he has, you know, the kind of that actor or... uh, Yeah, well, I mean, he looks like, he looks like an extra from American Psycho. Or a blonde Eddie McClintock-ish. But in this scene, we have uh, Stakeoutception. Because Hook is watching the building commissioner, and then on the bridge we see Weaver watching Hook. Oh my god, we're, we're, we're back in classic once upon a time. We're watching someone watching someone watching someone else. But yeah. yes, uh, Hook sees the building commissioner guy talking to Victoria Belfry, which I don't think is inherently suspicious in and of itself since she's doing a major construction project. Right? I mean, they do exchange an envelope, which is a tiny bit more suspicious, but... I mean, lots of things come in envelopes. Yeah. Back at Ronnie's bar, Jacinda has gone in for a drink because she's sad about the community garden and she doesn't know what to do. Yeah, she comes in, she's like, I need a drink. The community garden's in trouble. And Regina's like, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, and Jacinda's like, what? Sorry, you said Regina? And I know we're kind of being fast and loose with the characters here, but I'm going to correct you for a very important reason. Ronnie. Yes, and I have an important reason to correct you on this. All right. Yeah. Ronnie reaches behind her bar and pulls out a copy of the building code, which she knows by heart. Our Regina did not know that building codes were a thing, let alone know what they were. That is true. I do. I feel like Lana Priya is sort of finding the voice of this character a lot more. Ronnie feels like her own person a lot more 
three episodes in than she did in the first episode. It's true. And Ronnie feels very distinct from Regina. I, I like it. I'm I'm good with that. Like, God, I'm hoping they don't start the giant speeches that never end thing again. I'm hoping that was just a repiloting thing. Hopefully. But also, I feel like she's dropped a lot of she was doing sort of this tough voice when Ronnie was first introduced that she's sort of dropped. She feels more comfortable in the character right now. Yeah, if I had to guess. Yes. Also, she seems like she's... She seems tough in a different way than Regina was. Um, She doesn't feel the need to present as regal. And it really reminds me of the difference that we talk about a lot between Lacey and Belle. Hmm. Because this is a much rougher character than Regina. And this is also the only character where we're really seeing a huge distinction between what we see in Fairytale Land and what we see in Hyperion Heights. Well, to bring this back to a more common storytelling trope, uh-huh. element-wise, Regina would be fire and Ronnie would be earth. That, yes, definitely. They're both strong forces, but in very different ways. Yes. Sorry, now I'm thinking of the evil queen as Azula, and I can't stop thinking about that. So let me just push that thought aside so we can go on with this episode. Like, not to go to Scott McCloud making comics, but, you know, the bit where he breaks down all of these different character groups into the four elements, you know. Uh-huh. There's the obvious ones, like... The original Fantastic Four, he's like, this is a very clear example of it, where you have each of the characters embodies um, the thing is rock, because, you know, he's this very tough, very guarded guy, and then literally rock. You know, Sue Storm is air, invisibility. She has to go with the flow. She has to accept. She gets taken for granted. Yes. You know, Johnny is fire, impulsive, hot-headed. Literally turns into fire. And Reed Richards is water. Because he fills every vacuum. <laughs> like, he goes to fill every space he's in. He's very destructive without it being an intentional thing. But the Marvel Universe would die without him. Oh, sad. But it is, it is a... Reed Richards. Yeah, he's awful. But, I mean, there's the thing with the four personality types or whatever. You know, right. Like, magnetic or whatever. Yeah, the, the four humors. The four humors. Like, it's like that... And it is fun whenever you've got a group of four people in a narrative, how you can break them into these. Sure, yeah. It's a good character point for Regina that, or for Lana Perea really, that this is the same character, but she's under completely different circumstances. Right, I wanted to say that this is a character who's had a hard past, but of course, Regina has too. This is just a kind of different hard past. See, I feel like one of the differences, again, we don't actually know that much about Ronnie at this point, but Ronnie has had a hard past that has been endurance-based. Like, lots of little bad things have happened to her over the course of her lifetime. She's just had a generally rough life, whereas Regina has had a life that was pretty comfortable, but with some very traumatic things happening in it. Well, another big difference, and like you said, we don't know Ronnie's backstory here, but I feel like Ronnie has had caretakers who loved her, where Regina did not. Yeah. Yeah, Ronnie's hardships have been more through the course of a human life. But she also has more of a resilience than Regina did. Yeah. 
as we've seen from Lana Priya's many, many amazing crying scenes, Regina has a tendency to break and break hard. Yes. They tell they tell Ronnie here that she is a queen, that she is a regular queen, you know, as opposed to an evil queen. Mm. Just further emphasizing the difference between Ronnie and Regina. Also, that's definitely expre- an expression people use in day-to-day life. I know, right? It's very odd. Oh, Tina, you're a regular queen. That is a weird thing to say. I, I stopped you there so that we could have this discussion about Ronnie versus Regina. Mm-hmm. But I just want our listeners to be aware that we are not going to be careful from here on out. We're going to use Ronnie and Regina interchangeably. Yes, yes. Just be aware. It's going to be a whole Hook Rogers, Gold, Rumple, Weaver. Well, you reminded me earlier that before the curse was broken, when we were doing season one, we were very careful to distinguish if we were talking about Mary Margaret or Snow White or... David or David or Rumpelstiltskin or Mr. Gold. But then once the curse was broken, it there was really no distinction. And I, I just, I can't go back to that, Max. I can't go back to that. Nope. The floodgates are open. Nope. So uh, Ronnie, as a property owner, property owner, as a property owner in Seattle, knows a whole bunch of sneaky bylaws that they can use to stop this construction project well not just a property owner but a property owner who owns a bar because there are a lot of regulations on uh businesses that serve alcohol Hmm. so she knows this code backwards and forwards and she knows that if the property is of a general community interest then they can have an injunction against its demolition so they're going to start a petition from the community to not tear up the community garden smart yep I mean, I feel like petitions are sort of hit or miss in how effective they are in various situations, but this seems like it'd be a pretty solid, uh... Yeah, I mean, it seems like a good plan, but the fact is, at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is come up with enough community support to sway the building commission, which we already know is taking money from Victoria, so... Well, the thing is, like, if they get enough attention on this project it would be hard like i can see the commissioner buckling under because it's harder to do shady stuff when there's that much attention on you it kind of reminds me of uh when detroit raised all that money to commission a statue and they made the very very big mistake of having a write-in vote for it oh you never do a write-in option i feel like they got off lucky because you remember what won robocop 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 won overwhelmingly as a write-in vote and they're like we're not doing robocop we're just gonna go with the option we presented you that got the next highest amount of votes and people flipped the fuck out they were like is this a democracy or not we vote for the fascist robot cyborg i'm sorry he's a cyborg yes he he's got human bits he's got a human hand so it'll still be a human hand pulling the trigger and he's got a human heart and he's got a human brain, and the rest of him's all gunk. Are you referring to the robot parts as gunk? Yeah, robot gunk. Robot parts are like the opposite of gunk. If anything, the human parts are the gunk. All right, fine. <laughs> Those are the gunk parts of him, the hand, the brain, and the heart. Right, the rest of it is like brush steel. Oh, and I guess the lower jaw. Yeah, so that he can kiss like a human. Does he kiss people? I haven't seen RoboCop. No, RoboCop does not kiss people. Why bother with the lower jaw? 
he might kiss people. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. So Tiana is introducing Cinderella to the resistance. I've been calling her Jacinda in the flashback times too. So not even with the new characters are we being consistent with names. I know, I know. But Tiana is introducing Cinderella around. She introduces her to Jeremiah, a true believer to the cause. Mm, Who has true believed her a pair of shoes because he used to be a cobbler. Yep, he used to be a cobbler. An elf-based cobbler or just a regular one? I assume an elf-based cobbler. Are are elves fictional in Once Upon a Time? We've never seen an elf. We got one elf reference, and that's when uh, Dr. Hopper's evil parents uh, were trying to sell that- Elf uh, juice? Yeah. Made by elves from elves. Huh. Yeah, but you're right. That's the only elf reference we got. Maybe we'll see elves this season with Jeremiah the Cobbler. That and when uh, Regina was trying to teach uh, Emma magic and Emma was trying to read that te- that text and she's like, what is this, Spanish? And Regina's like, it's elvish. Actually, it's half elfish. Which, how do you have a half language, Regina? How do you have a half language? Well. Are you thinking it's like pigeon elvish? I was actually thinking it's like Yiddish, which I'm not comfortable calling a half language. Hmm. But it is a language that is influenced by both Hebrew and German. Okay. I I guess I could see if half-elves were a regular enough thing so that they would form their own societies. Yeah. You know, if you have like an elven diaspora, they would develop, they might develop their own language. All right. Fair. Fair. So, anyway, uh, Cinderella gets new shoes from the cobbler, and she's like, ah, they're much better than glass slippers, which, yeah. The cobbler has no context for that statement. Yeah. Turns out people can just say stuff. He's like, yes, leather is better than glass. As a cobbler, I'm aware of this. Thank you for cobblesplaining to me. Uh, Tiana shows uh, Jacinda a picture of an object that Lady Tremaine has brought illegally into the country i guess she smuggled it into the castle yeah they're worried because they know that lady tremaine is hoarding magic and this is the most recent thing they've seen her bring in so they're worried about what it is and cinderella says that she does not know what it is even though she obviously does it's a real obvious lie also one of the things that lady tremaine is hoarding is black fairy dust they do say that, yes. Which we know apparently can be used to launch a dark curse without having to sacrifice someone's heart. Interesting. Also, also, we never got resolution on the children who were trapped in the Black Fairy's mines. Like, I guess they're I'm just sure stuck they're there forever. Fine. I'm sure they're fine. They never got around to saving Glinda from that icy hellscape. Uh... Jesus, fucking save your my ass, Emma. Out of sight, out of mind. It's like that time Peter Petrelli left his Irish girlfriend in that collapsing timeline. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And then just never mentioned her again. Uh, heroes. So Henry shows up. So Henry shows up. and He is so cool. He is so cool that he can roll in with his mom and his stepdad and still be a badass. Well, not a stepdad. Alternate universe version of the man who married his mother. Also, we canceled Fashion Corner too soon because Regina is fucking bringing it. I know! Fashion Corner is dead. Long live Fashion Corner. Am I right? She's got this... It's sort of a take on her old riding outfit. It's so... I, I mean, 
There are a lot of elements that call back to other evil queen elements, but it is so different from anything else we've seen her in. It's maroon, first of all, instead of her iconic purple. Or bright red. Or black. It's a maroon. It's maroon. It's a mixture of purple and red. And she's got this, like, dark fur collar and... It's just but it's it's not look. a high collar. It's just a normal fur collar, and it's it's basically a long leather corseted coat. Gorgeous, my god! So, and that's honestly to say nothing of what we'll see everyone else wearing in the resistance. The resistance uh, has it going on fashion wise. Yeah. So we cut from that to you know Henry introducing Cinderella to his mom and alternate reality stepdad yeah yeah i do like how jacinda is like your mom looks like four years older than you does not say that she just rolls with it well here's the thing it's not the same thing as snow white and emma where they look the same age because they are the same age because of time stuff Lana Perea is old enough to be his mother. She just looks great. I mean, I don't know. They look. There's, there's no time travel Mishigas happening. She had him when she was an adult, and they both grew at the same rate. So, like, she just looks amazing. Wait, is he- I? Th- I feel like character Henry is supposed to be younger than actor Henry is. I feel like character Henry is supposed to be in his like early twenties, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Character Henry is definitely supposed to be early twenties. Uh, yeah, because we saw Henry go off for his gap year, and I don't know how long that was, but it wasn't a decade. So I think he's supposed to be like early twenties. Yeah. So anyway. But my point is, yeah, that their age difference isn't that huge. It, it is funny that we have an older actor who's probably playing younger just like when henry was just like at the end of last season yeah jared gilmore was much older than henry supposedly was jared gilmore's like 19 henry's supposed to be 14 yeah and that doesn't seem like a lot but those are four those very are important, important years. years yeah at the bar at the bar in hyperion heights lucy comes in and she's like so you're working on that petition my mom set up Henry is, but Henry says that he's not here about Jacinda, other than that he's working on this thing for Jacinda right now. But isn't he? Like, why is he there if not for Jacinda? Well, he's also looking for his wife and daughter's graves? He doesn't think they're in Hyperion Heights. That's just like a side thing he's looking for. Like, his stated reason for being here is to get inspired for his book. But obviously the reason he decided to sit and wait for inspiration here is because he was into Jacinda. It's nonsense to say he's not here for Jacinda. I do also like when she shows up, he's like, Oh good, a child in a bar. Like, he, he points out that she shouldn't be there because it's a bar when she shows up. Yeah, I mean, she really shouldn't. Speaking of speaking of codes and regulations, Ronnie, this is a good way to lose your liquor license. Maybe it's one of those bars that's also kind of a restaurant. I mean, there are all-ages bars that, like, like, that are restaurants, not bars, but... I don't know. Ronnie's seems to be basically just a wall full of liquor and three tables, so... Yeah, Ronnie's doesn't seem to be one of those bars. But Lucy's here to tell Henry that her mom is starting to believe, and that's why she's protesting, and it doesn't matter if the community garden gets kerploded, because the important thing is that, you know, Jacinda believes in fairy tales. 
And Henry's like, that's a little dark, Lucy. Lucy also tells him that they are in the season one episode where Henry went down into the mines because Victoria only wants to dig up the garden to get to what's underneath. Just like Henry went down into the mine shaft to look for Snow White's coffin. And Henry's like, no, this isn't my story. And it's like, sorry, Henry. Maybe if you don't want kids thinking it's your story and tracking it down, you shouldn't make your main character such an obvious self-insert. Speaking of that season one episode, and speaking of places children shouldn't be, Lucy runs over to the construction site and Henry follows her because children shouldn't go to construction sites. They've uncovered a secret... Tunnel? A secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. Through the mountains. Through the mountains. Secret tunnel. And Lucy immediately runs across the construction lot and vaults into it and henry's like jesus fucking christ no she one... just jumps in she gives no fucks and you know henry goes right after her <laughs> i actually made a note that this reminded me of the bojack horseman episode where he's filming ethan around and they have the moment where he's talking to ethan and he's like and then we can have a moment where i'm like hey remember when you were a kid and you did this to me it's not so easy is it yes Hey, Henry, remember when you pulled this shit? It's karma, bitch. So, the business... Bro. The business bro, the buildings the buildings commissioner guy, Michael something, he's having a fancy dinner at a fancy dinner place when Hook walks in and just sits across from him at the table, which... Well, it's lunchtime, so I think it's a fancy lunch mm-hmm. at, like, a business lunch place, a fancy business lunch place. And he's like... Tell me everything you know about Victoria Belfry or I'm going to murder you. And the guy's like, what? And then Hook, like, just reaches into his pocket and pulls out an envelope. Like, you can't do that, Hook. And I know that Hook is the hero and I'm on his side and I want him to take down Victoria, but don't talk to cops. Especially not when they just sit down at your table and try to intimidate you. So he opens like he pulls the envelope out of the commissioner's pocket and it's full of money and the commissioner's like uh yeah i have i i can't afford a wallet because i'm constantly eating out at fancy places for lunch i just carry my money around in a paper envelope in my pocket he tells hook why don't you keep half of that and let me finish my empanada which is the least intimidating food to put at the end of that sentence he's having empanadas it's just a weird, it's just a weird choice. I'm sure if he knew that he was going to be confronting a corrupt cop, he would have ordered something different. I guess. Is Hook a corrupt cop? Yeah, Hook is definitely a corrupt cop. This is what I'm saying. We're on his side because he's the hero, but you can't behave like that when you have the power of the state behind you. So he arrests the guy for... Having tr- a pocket full of money, which is terrible, but also totally happens. Well... Technically, he arrests him for trying to bribe an officer, which, God, I do not see that even vaguely sticking. Not with a guy that white. He's like extra white because he's business white. (laughs) Uh, So, meanwhile, Henry's like, hey, Lucy, maybe we should get out of this mine. And she's like, hey, Lucy, maybe we should get out of this tunnel before it collapses. And she's like, whatever it's been holding this long it'll hold a little longer i mean she's right i don't know they're doing construction now clearly the situation has changed yeah i guess so 
Henry tells her that he knows it feels like it's magic, but it's not magic. It's just that they built part of the city on top of an old part of the city. And she says, yeah, I know about the Seattle Underground. That doesn't make it less magical. And I just thought that was interesting because I know you haven't seen us yet. It's true. I haven't seen us yet. But at the opening of the movie, there's a crawl that talks about how much of America is built on top of other pieces of America and how all over the country there are basically these underground cities. And here we are. But they're going to find Cinderella's shoe. They're not going to find their tethers. Spoilers. Only if you've already seen the movie, so I think it's not a spoiler. So, Lucy's talking about how this proves everything that she was saying about fairy tales being real. And Henry's like, it really doesn't. Like, that this is... Like, there's a logical explanation for everything that's happened so far and everything that's happened so far. I know whenever you say there's a logical explanation for everything that's happened so far, it's usually because you're trying to because you're trying to deny stuff. But really, nothing that fantastical has happened up to this point. Well, her main argument for something being up is that he can't find the graves of his wife and daughter. And the reason he can't find the graves, according to Lucy, is because she and Jacinda are his wife and daughter. And it's really kind of heartbreaking that she's saying, you know, we're your family and we're right here and you think you've lost your family. And that really made me think about what it would be like for Henry once the curse breaks. Because he's still going to have memories of his family dying horrifically, even though that didn't happen. It's we're like, hoping. Yes, we're hoping that didn't happen. Otherwise, it's a really fucked up curse. It's like when you wake up from a dream. And you're still, you still feel emotionally invested in whatever was going on in that dream. Right. Like you dreamt that you were having a really intense fight with someone and then you wake up and you're kind of a little mad at them still. Or the opposite thing of that. <laughs> Yes. I yeah, I feel really bad for Henry because she's like, you should stop being sad about your dead wife and daughter because they're not real and it's like that's Lucy's really mercenary in this episode. Yeah, well Henry was really mercenary in season one as well, so I guess that makes sense. On the streets of Hyperion Heights, Jacinda has her petition and people are literally lining up to sign it because everyone in Hyperion Heights hates Victoria Belfry. I don't want to bring this to this place, but you know what this really reminds me of? What? In a pre-2016 world, the way New Yorkers felt about Donald Trump. That's accurate. She lives in a tower. She's a real estate developer. She's evil. She's aggressively hated by the people of the city that she calls home. I, I don't want to get into this area, but you see all these people who are talking about how you never heard any of this bad stuff about Trump before he started running, became president, blah, blah, blah. He's literally the model of every 80s movie villain. Also, there's this book I really like called Blue Heaven. Which came out in the, I think, 90s. Uh-huh. And the the villain is Donald Trump. Like, these are all complaints that have existed about this guy for decades. It's just you never heard about them because you don't care about what goes on in New York. Future Biff from Back to the Future Part 2 is based on Donald Trump. Like, this isn't... None of this was a secret. Yeah. Ugh. Spoiler alert. 
rich people aren't invested in non-rich people becoming rich. So let's talk about the resistance. Back in Fairytale Land. So back in Fairytale Land, they're looking at a uh, fantasy map. I love maps and fantasy stories. Like, this is a map that was thrown together by the resistance. It should be a sketch, but it looks like it was done by an artist for the inside cover of a fantasy novel. Okay, so this is yet another diversion. I know we're like 20 minutes into the episode, but there's this great bit on the cover of one of the Dragon's Age games uh-huh. where uh, it's a your basic D&D looking scene where someone's putting a knife into a map. Sure, like you do. Yeah, the reason I saw this is because I saw it going around on Tumblr and someone commented... I always hate stuff like this because cartography was such a huge deal and these maps were expensive and they took time and research. And like, if you got a map like that, you wouldn't tear it because you would like, you are ruining a very valuable commodity. Right. And someone's like, yeah, look past the front row of people around this. And because the picture has a guy in the background freaking out. (laughs) So anyway. Uh, they're going to do a two-pronged attack on Lady Tremaine's keep. and Her tower. Her her tower. And alternate hook's like, hey, Tiana, I want to raid with you. Let's raid together. And Tiana's like, I guess I could use the extra muscle. He He's hitting on her and she's super not into it. Hey, I mean, this is, this is alternate hook. This hook doesn't have any, this hook doesn't owe any loyalty to Emma. So it's okay. I love all of the resistance outfits. They're like all leather doublets. They're amazing. And Jacinda's is blue and like a Cinderella callback. And also it looks great. It does. It looks like an armor version of the Cinderella dress they established here. Yeah, which is different from Bandit Snow because for whatever reason, none of Snow White's outfits ever really called back to the Disney outfit. But here they're like, this is the Cinderella outfit except as actual battle armor. It's pretty great. Yes. But Cinderella is having feelings about their battle plan, and she sneaks away from the camp at night. Pausing briefly to look at the cobbler as she goes. Yes, and also to look wistfully at Henry. Hmm. Speaking of Henry, Henry is trying to talk Lucy out of being in this tunnel because A, it could collapse. It could collapse. They could be killed. And B, if they get caught down here... Lucy will be going to reform school and Henry will be going to somewhere much worse. It will not look good at all. It's not. No, uh, this isn't uh, uh, this isn't an Emma and Henry situation. This isn't a a parent, you know, a, a parent is trying to reclaim custody thing. Yeah. Henry, legally speaking here in Hyperion Heights, has no claim to Lucy. He's just some random guy. Yes. This is the point where Lucy finds the piece of glass that she is convinced is a part of the slipper and gets very excited. Henry does not freak out enough about the fact that she's touching broken glass. It's fine. She's fine. She doesn't cut herself. I think a solid part of my childhood was people freaking out about me not touching broken glass. Freaking out at me to not touch broken glass. How much broken glass was there in your childhood? Not a ton, but enough so that it came up multiple times. Okay. I was more concerned with the fact that Lucy is hanging all of her faith that this is a curse on this tiny piece of glass, when in fact what Victoria is hiding is not a tiny piece of glass, but a full-on human corpse. 
which we won't see for a few more scenes. Well, we'll see it in the flashback. Maybe flashback. Maybe timeline that's happening concurrently, but also another corpse. Uh, we'll see it in... Fairytale Land. We'll see it in Fairytale Land. So Jacinda kind of just walks straight up into Lady Tremaine's keep. Yeah, why not? Why, why is Tiana having so much trouble here? She knows, she knows... The secret entrances? Yeah, also, Lady Tremaine's guards aren't trying to keep her out. Hmm. So, she goes to Lady Tremaine and is basically like, stop waging a- and listen. Stop waging a giant war on everyone just because you're pissed at me because of the thing I did. Yeah, they're talking around- they're doing that thing where they talk around stuff, which is going to come up a lot in this episode. Not in a way that I find annoying, just in a way where I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing. Okay, well, I don't find it annoying because they actually do come out in this episode and say that the thing she did caused the death of Anastasia, the other evil stepsister. And the fact that there's more to the story, that's fine. We can wait for the rest of the story. Yeah, I mean... It's okay that they're talking around specifics as long as they're giving us some details. Right. It's not just all vague stuff about we have a history together. But Lady Tremaine shows Cinderella the corpse of Anastasia, which has been preserved. She has one breath left. She cast peaceful repose on it. And now she needs a heart so that she can bring her back to life. A heart as pure as Anastasia's, because apparently Anastasia had the purest of hearts. She had, she was a true innocent, and the only way to bring her back is to use a, you know, another pure heart. Right. So she needs Cinderella to go out and get Billy Batson's heart for her. <laughs> uh, uh, no, just kidding. That's a Shazam reference. I have to say that's a Shazam reference because not enough people saw Shazam. You unfor- should go see Shazam. It was really good. Unfortunately. Although this version of uh, Shazam didn't have the whole pure heart thing from the old comics, which bothered me at first, but over time I've become more okay with it. I like this. I liked the way they did it in the movie. Lady Tremaine doesn't want her to get Billy Batson's heart, obviously, because Billy Batson is from DC, not Marvel. Yes. Uh, she does want her to get Henry's heart because she heard that Henry has the heart of the truest believer. So Lady Tremaine tells Jacinda that she needs to go get Henry's heart. She, she she puts a spell on her glove so that she can rip it out. Yeah, there was a moment there where she's like, if you don't do this, it spells doom for you and everyone in that little rebellion of yours. And I thought she was casting a spell on her, but she was just enchanting the glove that uh, Jacinda was wearing. So or that possibly she... Jacinda's hand. Mm. Well, it might be a hook thing where, you know, Cora enchanted Hook's hook to rip out a heart once, and then it just ended up being a thing he could do over the course of the show. So now so now Cinderella just has the power to rip out hearts? Yeah, although I, I really think it was her glove. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So this goes back to a th- just a little theory we had earlier on. I don't even think it was a theory. I think it was something we assumed. At the party, Henry got drugged and then tied up by Alice, who had brought him to a separate cave. We assumed she was working for Lady Tremaine. This kind of indicates that she wasn't. Yeah, in fact, given that we're going to get a flashback episode of Rumpelstiltskin next week. I know. I know. I'm not looking forward to it. But, I don't know, maybe it'll surprise us. But I think now that she was working with Rumpelstiltskin, because we saw her Hyperion Heights counterpart reporting to Weaver. Yes. 
which would make sense why she was trying to get Henry to leave because Henry was in danger. Yes. There. It also makes it more interesting that like Lady Tremaine wants Henry in fairy tale land and wants Henry out in Hyperion Heights. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, heart of the truest believer will bring her dead daughter back to life. Why doesn't she just ask Henry to believe that she's alive? That's how Heart of the Truest Believer works. It's not like it's extra blood pumpy or anything. Could have just asked. Could have just asked. You could have just gone up to Henry and been like, my two totally alive daughters want to meet you. And he'd be like, oh, okay. I believe that. Exactly. Back in Seattle, Jacinda has got... 11 billion signatures on her uh, petition. Yeah, but Victoria comes in like Benjamin Coffin III from Rent and is like, hey, alternate offer. What if I give you a condo inside my new condo project and you get to live there with Lucy and then we don't do whatever this thing is that you're doing? All you need to do is burn your signatures and uh, you can have full custody of, I will declare custody at you and you will get full custody of Lucy and you will be able to live in one of these fancy ass condos. Also, the condos have a cafe on the ground floor. And I was just thinking about Tiana and like they could give Tiana the cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Benjamin Kaufman III is the unsung hero of Rent. Or the negatively sung about hero of Rent. He just wanted to give them free... He just wanted to give them a place to live that also had a studio underneath where they could make their art. Yeah. And all they had to do was stop Maureen from harassing homeless people. Like, I would get it if the protest was actually going to do anything. It wasn't. It was Maureen screaming... It was Maureen mooing at homeless people. Actually, she was encouraging the homeless people to moo just to be a hindrance just to be specific about it yes that that is true she was encouraging homeless people to move she should have been talking to the building commissioner and advocating for more low-income housing she should have why wasn't joanne doing more stuff she probably was we just don't really see her we don't get a lot of joanne's life which is weird because you'd think joanne would be the person where they'd be like okay if we want to stop this project from going forward we need a lawyer hmm who's a lawyer no, in the story of Rent, Joanne is that one woman from Queen of Jordan who's like, Hi, I pay my mortgage on time and I don't engage in unnecessary drama. So we don't get any of her story, really. Which is too bad because I would love to hear her story. Yeah, yeah. Rent from the point of view of Joanne. Yeah, I would, I would, I would watch that musical. But just but Jacinda does burn the petition. She burns the petition like Emma burned the book last season <gasps> to symbolize her lack of belief. Yes, Jacinda has burned all of the billions of signatures she has collected. I mean, it's a lot of signatures. It is a lot of signatures. And spoiler alert for later in the episode, she gets people to sign again. But there's no way all of those people were there at her makeshift protest thing. Uh, we'll talk about it when we get there. I believe they were. So, unfortunately, she does this right in front of Lucy. (laughs) Yeah, Lucy's like, how could you? You lost your belief. This isn't what heroes do. And here's the thing. The whole point of this episode is essentially heroes don't behave that way, right? Heroes don't rip out people's hearts even if they think it's what they have to do to win the battle. And heroes don't let the community garden get ripped up, 
even if that's what they have to do to get custody of their daughter. And here's the thing, those are very different. Heroes don't throw babies into death pits. Yeah, right? But no, no, seriously. Heroes don't rip out people's hearts, even if that's how they think they can win, is a good lesson. Abandoning saving the community garden to get custody of your daughter does not seem to be on the same moral level as ripping out Henry's heart. Especially since, I mean, I know this is kind of irrelevant, but also Lucy made it really clear that the only reason she cares about the garden is as means to an end. I don't think Lucy really made that clear to Jacinda. Henry knows that, but I don't think Jacinda knows that. I think Jacinda really just thinks Lucy loves the garden. Oh, no, I'm speaking of from our perspective. Oh, yes. And really from Lucy's perspective. I mean, I guess this is... Yeah, but for her, the means to the end is to make her mother believe. So burning the papers is signifying how little she believes. Mm. Back at the police station. Uh, Weaver is shaking hands with business guy who he's released because there wasn't really a solid reason to have him in jail. Yeah. And then he, like, explains how copying works to Hook. Which, on the one hand, Weaver is such a corrupt cop. Like, he's cartoonishly corrupt. We op- we saw his intro in this show was him waterboarding a guy. And then his secondary intro to the character of Hook was him telling a story... In which a guy did what he asked him to do, and then he broke his hand anyway. Right. But on the other hand, what he actually tells Hook is, if you're trying to get Victoria, what you do is you get a guy, and then you get him to be an informant, and then you get him to report to you when Victoria does something illegal, which is accurate. Like, that's not the most corrupt thing we've seen from weaver but the show sure is playing it like it is mm. back in fairy tale land jacinda stops over henry she rubs his meaty man chest it is a meaty man chest okay so i i know i have to stop everyone's asleep because it's nighttime at the encampment and everyone sleeps in, like, their full leather doublets can't be comfortable no like that's why you have undergarments in fake medieval times, so that you can wear those when you sleep. But I, whatever. I do love, she can't bring herself to rip out Henry's heart. And she's like, wait a second, didn't someone else have a pure heart? Somebody who was willing to give their life for the resistance. As was very textually stated in the show. Yes. So she goes to rip out... The cobbler's heart. So she's about to rip out Jeremiah's heart when Regina's like, yeah, no. It's, it's pretty great. She just grabs her hand. She's like, yeah, we're not going to be doing that. Yeah, Regina Regina stops her and Jacinda tries to justify her actions, but Regina is not having it. You don't want to do that. I saw you sneak off. Pretty sure I know where you went. Please, you have to let me do this. Look, whatever Tremaine wants, we can find a way to stop her. She wants Henry. Part of the truest believer. But I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. This man, he believes. Tiana said that he'd give up his life for the cause. 
And if that would save everyone else, then... Isn't that okay? You know, it took me a long time to learn. But no. It's not. I love that so much. I love that. No. It's it's such a great delivery. It The read of that is amazing. Like, all credit to that line goes to Lana Perea. It's like, she's as surprised to realize that as, as Cinderella. Oh, well, wait, no. No, we can't do that. You can't just kill people. Apparently. Apparently. The context is very, very different. But it does remind me of the bit with Zelina, where Zelina's like, after all, wicked's just another word for ambitious. And Regina's like, well, that's just not true. Yeah, yeah. And then Regina takes the spell off of Cinderella's hand. Yeah. I don't know if I'm cool with that. Because I, story-wise, like the temptation still being there for Cinderella. By taking the spell off her hand, she removed the temptation, which is a good strategic move, but narratively speaking, is not as satisfying. She really doesn't want Henry to get his heart ripped out. I mean, she is his mother, so yeah. Although he does have, he presumably still has that anti-heart-ripping spell she put on him way he back when. does still have the anti-heart-ripping spell. Mother Gothel will allude to it at the end of this episode. Hmm. Yeah. We're assuming. We're assuming it's Mother Gothel or we're assuming that's what she's talking about? Both, really, but. Yeah. <laughs> so, back in Seattle, Jacinda goes to Ronnie's bar and she's like, so I really fucked up in front of my kid. And Regina's like, can't imagine what that's like right oh man i do like that in fairy tale land we have regina who we have seen go through a lot of hardship in order to be redeemed and we've seen her do the work the hard work of redemption and she's telling cinderella look nothing you did is that bad let me talk to you about redemption and here we have the same thing with ronnie and jacinda and we don't know ronnie's backstory but it's just as heartfelt yeah, she she tells her, like, look, you're going to have some hard choices to make, but if you yield even a little bit to Victoria Belfry, she's going to walk all over you. Like, you're not going to get Lucy back by doing what she wants you to do. Which is honestly fair. Like, apparently Victoria Belfry has the power to just declare custody arrangements, so this isn't a person you can trust. Yeah. You, you can't make a deal with her. She's not Rumpelstiltskin. She doesn't keep her bargains. We, we cut back to the real world where Henry and Lucy are walking down the street talking about how disappointed Lucy is in her mom. When suddenly they come upon Jacinda, who is running a protest rally. I mean, she's just gathered a bunch of people at the community garden and told them that she needs them to sign the petition again. And she's rallying people. And you know what scene it reminded me of? What? It reminded me of the scene where Henry used his heart of the truest believer power to rally people in New York and open the portal. I can see that. Which is why I am certain that this is a parallel timeline and not the future. Because they told us in the past, they made sure we remembered that Henry has the heart of the truest believer. And now... They're giving us not Henry as the believer, but Jacinda as the believer. 
So I feel like the show is really emphasizing that these are two different stories. This is this is the scene I'm hanging my theory on. Okay. So uh, Jacinda gives a speech about how they're... It, it, it's like Ronnie's speech, but shorter and less awful. You know, they're a community. They need to pull together. If you believe in something, if you truly believe in something, you can change things without gentrification. Yeah, well, I mean... You can make the neighborhood better without gentrifying it. We can bring the community together instead of the community being pushed out. I mean, that's the problem with gentrification is that it pushes out the current community. Hmm. But, I mean, that would also be the problem with if you improve the neighborhood, then people are going to start wanting to live there and then things are going to then, like, how can you make a neighborhood better for the people who live there without resulting in it pushing them out? Um, You need people to you need people to have the means to own their property. Mm. People get pushed out because they're renters. People get pushed out because in those kinds of communities they rent because you have a whole history of redlining and like an inability to build generational wealth. So what you need are government programs that allow, I mean, if we're talking about like a governmental solution, Mm. what you need are government programs that encourage homeownership and especially encourage like a means for homeownership amongst people who have traditionally been kept out of it so that they see the benefits of improvements to their community instead of seeing their rent go up and get pushed out. Hmm. If only somebody who understood this was in charge of the Department of Housing and Urban Development instead of a person who has actively said he's against these programs and also has no idea what he's doing and also doesn't want to do anything because he doesn't believe in this entire department and has like eliminated 90 percent of the staff not to get political on this show not to get political but lucy's like oh she believes she never stopped believing and henry's like well i mean clearly she stopped believing at some point if she burned the uh petition but i mean whatever no no she believes whatever kid it's fine please don't make me go into a mine shaft again back in fairytale land jacinda goes up to regina the next morning and she's like thank you for not allowing me to murder people but you should take your son and leave because things are about to get really bad here also jacinda's gonna take off because she knows that lady tremaine is not gonna stop until she's gotten revenge on jacinda and she doesn't want to bring all of that drama to the resistance and as soon as she mentions that this is about lady tremaine getting revenge regina's like oh i know this song oh because Whatever happened to Anastasia happened to Anastasia when they were both 14 and Lady Tremaine blamed Jacinda's father, but it was really Jacinda's fault. And now she wants revenge on both of them and apparently already got it on her father. Interestingly, I have to say, causing your daughter to die seems like a better motivation for revenge than causing your fiancé to die. I mean, I know they're both bad, but... It's weird how we felt so much more for Regina than we feel for Lady Tremaine. I'm trying to remember if at this point in the show, they had given us Regina episodes and made us feel for Regina yet. I don't think so. So we could still have episodes coming up where we're totally on Lady Tremaine's side. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So Regina, you know, Regina pats Jacinda on the shoulder and she's like, hey, hey shut up 
again she sort of repeats the speech she gave as ronnie where she's like look running away is like not going to save any of these people i know because i murdered a ton of people when i was hunting for snow white yeah yeah she she knows she's like it didn't work with snow white it's not gonna work with you the only way to handle a bully is to knock them on their ass so that's what they're gonna do she cinderella runs up to the to tiana and hook and she's like hey you know that double pronged attack you were thinking about doing don't do that you're all going to be murdered if you do that and Regina lets her keep her secret and says the reason she's saying that is because they saw in Regina's magic mirror that Lady Tremaine is ready for an attack. And he- and Henry kind of pulls uh, Cinderella to the side. He's like, you did a good thing. Like, I've known my mom long enough to know when she's spewing bullshit. <laughs> Cinderella also tells them that she's not going by Cinderella anymore. She's just going by Ella. Oh, great. So now we've got another name for her. Well, Cinderella was the name that Lady Tremaine called her to bully her. So she's reclaiming her name, which we know is important in fairy tales. Yes, Ella. She also says to Henry, I'm glad we have a minute to talk because I have to tell you shit. And I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that this means we won't have a misunderstanding later because those are really annoying those are the worst plots basically if there's a plot that can be solved by two characters having a conversation they could easily have and then it isn't solved by that it's a bad plot it's a bad plot so back in seattle henry's uh getting ice cream with lucy and jacinda because they're a little family now they are and uh, Henry's like, well, I need to get home and work a little bit on my uh, second book so even more children can find me. And <laughs> Well, no, his second book is going to be a... a Ex- Exposé. I was thinking it was going to be narrative nonfiction about them taking back the neighborhood. So the first chapter will be about the community garden. Presumably he changed that opening line that he came up with a couple episodes ago. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Or maybe he'll keep it and it'll be like a kind of weird winky thing to his first book. Yeah, or maybe yeah, maybe it'll be fairy tale stories except told through a except told through a modern lens, you know, like this actually is. I want I wanna be a regular author, but for some reason all I can write is fairy tales. Yeah. I wanna do my nineteen thirties spy novel, but it turned into a Corella Deville story. That's not a fairy tale, except then he had Cruella DeVille team up with Maleficent and Ursula. Yeah. Oof. So Lucy gives him the heel because... Of the shoe. Of the shoe, of what she's assuming, the hunk of glass that she's assuming is the heel of the glass slipper. And she's like, you have to, which is kind of why, I mean, I know it could just be a thing of glass, but given what happens at the end of the episode is why I think this isn't separate. I think they're the same reality i see what you're saying because a lot of this just seemed to be relying on continuity that came up before i see your point but we won't find out until we find out it's true so she lucy gives henry the heel because now he's the one who needs to believe because jacinda is already waking up her belief is already coming back this was dumb of lucy because when henry believes in things they're true So this may have activated his true believer power. And what is he currently believing? He believes that his wife and daughter are dead and buried. And he stumbles upon their graves in the Hyperion Heights Cemetery. Yeah. Yeah, he finds the graves for uh, Lauren and Abigail Mills. I have to say, though, from Henry's point of view, this has to be 
the strongest proof that Lucy is right. Because otherwise it's too weird a coincidence that they were buried in Hyperion Heights. Yeah. Yeah, that's real fucked up. Like, the only reason they would be here is because this is the cemetery that's part of a curse. Therefore, this is the cemetery that Victoria has control over. Yeah, yeah. We cut from Henry discovering his wife and daughter's graves to Ms. Belfry going into her secret tower with the mysterious box. Yep, yep. She takes the box up to the top of her tower, which is some sort of server room. And it's the top of the tower, but it has a real basement feel to it. It's got like this backlit giant fan so that it can have the flickering thriller movie light going on. Again, show does well when it leans into horror movie tropes. It's very atmospheric. And Victoria calls out to a person who is in this tower to come out into the light. This feels like a swerve. We already know that Victoria is Rapunzel. You and I know that. The show has not told us that. Yes, but... Until right now. We know that because of our mishap with Wikipedia. This sort of seems like this could have been this show's Rapunzel. It's a woman who's got gray hair, but specifically isn't old. She does not look old, but she does, as you say, have very, very long matted gray hair. And she tells the woman that she has unearthed something. And and the woman and, and the woman who is shackled up, who you know what? I'm gonna call her Mother Gothel, because I believe it is Mother Gothel, because mm. of what we know about Victoria, even though we're not certain yet. Mother Gothel is like, why do I care what you found? And Victoria's like, you'll care who I found. So Henry and Lucy were wandering around the underground tunnel, and they managed to find a piece of glass, but not a box containing a human corpse. That is correct. That would have been the bigger thing there, Henry. Mother Gothel says, are you ready for what happens when you bring her back? And... We have no idea what happens in this show. It could turn into a zombie show. Afterlife with Henry. Yes. So Mother Gothel's like, you're going to have a hell of a time waking her up. Again, I'm also going to go with the Mother Gothel thing. Her, like, you need the heart of a truest believer and Henry's heart's protected and so's the girl's. There's a thing throughout this episode, which I've kind of been skipping over, where people call Henry... The boy. The boy. Even though he's, like, in his 30s. Yeah, which always strikes me as weird. Like, he's a full-grown man. Come on. I know, but he's he's the protagonist of a fairy tale, which makes him essentially Jack, which does just mean boy. Yeah, he is the er-boy. But it's weird. They changed actors. I know. He's not a boy anymore. So Victoria says that she doesn't actually need the girl's heart. She just needs the girl to give up her belief. And obviously we think that this is Lucy, but it could also be Jacinda. Yes. Importantly. Importantly, it could also be Jacinda. Although I think it's Lucy. Yes. Uh, Victoria does some more taunting of Mother Gothel and says, don't forget, now you're my prisoner. And Mother Gothel's like, look, you could get everything you want. 
In fact, you might get everything you want. But if you get everything you want, then I'm going to be free. And then you're going to have to deal with me. It's a pretty badass way to go out. Yeah, I don't know who this character is. Again, we're, we're assuming Mother Gothel, but we don't know who or what this character is. Good point. Good point. And I do like that it is literally the... I mean, what she is essentially saying is all magic comes with a price, but she's not saying that because that would be rote and cliche by now. She's saying it in a much more badass way. All, ma- mag- all magic comes with a price... And the price is me. So. That takes us to the end of the episode. This was a really good episode. What the hell? I'm, I, it was good. And it will have to hold us over because the next episode, based on the Netflix description, appears to be a Rumbell episode. Really? Yes, it's called Beauty. And the description says, Lucy opts for tricks over treats when an unenthused Ivy takes her out on Halloween. A scrappy informant sparks memories of Weaver's storybook past. And I have to assume that scrappy informant is Alice. Yes. And that you were right, Alice is working for Rumple, not Lady Tremaine. So, I guess, briefly, Fashion Corner, I don't want to fully revive it in case this turned off to, unless this turned out to be a one-shot thing and all the outfits suck from here on out, but a brief one-time with room for growth appearance of fashion corner everyone in the resistance is bringing it i like how all of them they do have sort of the same leather doublet-y theme but each one is customized to the specific person yes tiana is dressed in like whites and and light browns kind of a kind of neutrals looking great jacinda leather doublet but blue and then, of course... Blue and kind of puffed up sleeves a little bit. Yeah, definitely evoking her Cinderella dress. And then, of course, as we discussed, Regina's maroon corseted jacket with a fur collar. So good. And Henry's got kind of a... It's more of a generic swashbuckler thing. Henry looks like a generic fairy tale prince. But I do like... It looks like he took aspects from the classic once upon a time prince outfit but just the fact that he's got the poofy white shirt i mean i do like a guy in a poofy white shirt (laughs) shall we move on to recommendations uh yes did you have one why don't you go first okay so my recommendation this week is a different story about cinderella joining the resistance except it's a steampunk story Mm -hmm. it's a young adult novel called cinder by marissa meyer and um steampunk cinderella so she's a cyborg she doesn't lose her shoe she loses her foot yeah all right my recommendation i feel like we've already talked about it a fair amount on this show it's netflix's she-ra oh because of the princess resistance yes uh because of the princess rebellion thing yes and um as of last friday when this episode drops Netflix has just released season two. Yeah. So very timely recommendation. Yeah. Thanks once upon a time for lining stuff up like that. Only downside to new Shira. Yeah. Swiftwind. Really? He doesn't have the voice anymore. Oh, okay. Hey, Shira, let's go fight some bad guys. I'm sorry. I couldn't make my voice deep and raspy enough to do it. 
look up a clip of the original Swiftwind talking. He sounds like Satan. If you're not familiar with She-Ra, it's funny because he's a rainbow-colored Pegasus who literally sounds like the devil. So, I think that does it for this week. I think that does do it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you could go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, and Rosa. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, you should join our Facebook group. Search for Welcome to Television on Facebook. We can also be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or at ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke.